Um, the best parenting advice that I've been given is to give your child unconditional love. One of the biggest pieces of advice I've heard for parents is just for them to read to their kids every night. Don't be afraid to give your kids responsibilities so that they can learn and grow. Well, what do you think of that advice? Will that kind of a tip work in your family? Today on Focus on the Family, we'll be examining the important relationship between moms and dads and children, and our goal is to help you become the best parent you can be. Thanks for joining us today. I'm John Fuller, and your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly. John, as a dad, I've really enjoyed every stage of parenting. Uh, The early years were tough because it's so demanding, right? Both of our boys had colic, and so I was up at 2 in the morning driving them around the neighborhood, putting the boys on the dryer, not in the dryer, but just letting <laughs> to be them fair, feel it was the, that yeah. tumble. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it was exactly 12 weeks, and it all mellowed out. But poor Jean, boy, she was so exhausted. and So that was tough, but it was still great. I remember Troy falling asleep on my chest, mm-hmm. and just every night he just lay there as I watched the news, and it, it was just something special for me. Uh, what we need to recognize is that parenting is a marathon, not a sprint. And uh, boy, when I uh, meet couples with young kids, I remind them that the days are long, but the years are short, mm-hmm. especially with both of our, all of our kids. They're all adults being now. Being in 20s and yeah. 30s now. And you just, you want to cherish these days because they're so special. Today, we want to focus on those early years and give you some best practices uh, from our guest for raising your children. There's so much panic in the culture in parenting right now and so much fear. You know, they're talking about it cost over $300,000 to raise a child. You know, don't let that interfere with the blessing of having children. Because I'll tell you what, what's going to be on your tombstone is a great wife and a wonderful mom. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be all the accolades of academic achievement. It's what happened in the family. Yeah, and we have Catherine Hill here in the studio with us. She's the UK Director for Care for the Family, a sister ministry to focus on the family. And uh, Catherine is a speaker and has written a number of books about family. And she's married to Richard. They have four grown children and five grandchildren. And uh, she's written a book. It's called... If you forget everything else, remember this, parenting in the primary years. Catherine, welcome back to Focus. Thank you, Jim, so much. So good to see you. Last time uh, we were in Scotland, I think we were there doing a men's golf outing, and, and we were able to interview you there. We were. I didn't play golf, but I could come and <laughs> chat to you, which you was wonderful. You were welcome to join, of course. <laughs> but there we talked about marriage and great principles on keeping your marriage vibrant and alive. And today we're covering parenting. So very much Care for the Family is really, uh, in many ways, a mirrored organization to focus. I'm trying to think back when Care for the Family started. Was it about 30 years ago? 35. 35 35 years ago, yes. So it might have the time has passed. Exactly. And that was Lyndon Bowering and and, uh, Rob Parsons and so many other friends there that got together and we all pitched in and helped start that. So it's been great to watch the growth of Care for the Family. Let's get into it. Um, boy, you, you come with some great credentials in this area of being a professional, being a mother. Talk about that superhero myth that many, many parents, especially moms feel, uh, and why are we trying to be superheroes? And what are we trying to prove by doing that? There's a bunch of questions. A lot of questions, but I do think the pressure on parents today is is huge. Uh, so when I had R four, I had a, a a big book. It was called the Good Housekeeping Book of Child Care. And Sounds good. It was well, and it told me what I needed to know. But for today's parents, they're bombarded with information, um, mainly on you know social media, but 
you know, how to get your child to sleep, what to get them to eat, what they should be doing at what stage. And I could have used that book. I think some of that, well, <laughs> some of that pressure now, though, I think makes parents anxious. And if we're not careful, we feel that we have to, we, we find our identity in being a successful parent, a successful mom, a successful dad. Uh, whatever, however we define success. And I know I slipped into that. I tell a story in the book and I look back now, I'm quite embarrassed really, but I used to really love baking cakes and it was our daughter's fourth birthday and I made this incredible cake. If you do Uh, say so yourself. If I do say so myself. (laughs) It was, it took me ages to do. It was, um, I don't know if you have the Peter Rabbit series here oh, by yeah. Beatrix mm-hmm. Potter. Yeah. It was a Peter Rabbit garden. But this is from scratch, I this would assume. This was from scratch. scratch cake. I can't, okay. honestly. Wow. And my husband and I, we were up late at night making little carrots and little scarecrow oh, and the goodness. icing. It was <laughs> what a, a work great guy. of art. Wow. <laughs> but honestly, what was I doing? Um, put it on the table. These kids wouldn't have cared if I'd bought one from the supermarket, you know, a caterpillar one with a, a candle in. They didn't care a bit. And in a moment of reflection afterwards, I thought, who was I trying to impress? And probably the other mums. And I think so easily parenting can become a bit of a, a competition if we're not careful. It kind of pushes into that next area I wanted to cover with you, which is guilt. And I honestly, so many women that we interview, moms and wives, and women have a profound capacity to look at themselves first. But that also comes in with loading guilt on that mm. I didn't do this right. Or, I mean, men, I think our egos are too much that we go, ah, it's not us, it's the other guy. Women are the exact, generally, to me, are the exact opposite. It's mm. like they really look at themselves first and say, where did I fail? Yeah. How does that, that mom guilt build up? And I think you had not a funny story, but a dramatic story in London yeah. where the mom guilt really hit you. What it happened? It certainly did. So um, we had our four children who were something like two, four, six, and eight. And we also had one of my sister's boys with us. And we'd managed to navigate London uh, on the, I think you call it the subway, on the London Underground. (laughs) And uh, with all these children, and we'd been to some of the sites, and we'd got back to the station. And I was just patting myself on the back about what a great day out it had been and how we'd managed really well. And then our older two had an argument about getting into our car because there was a seat in the back that they didn't want to sit in. You had to be faced backwards. (laughs) That's that seat. That's that seat. They were having a row. And um, I said, for goodness sake, if you can't behave, you'll have to walk home. And we all got in the car and off we drove to my sister's house. So this is London. Um, It's about five o'clock in the evening, so it's going dark. And we drove probably about one and a half miles. And then George, our oldest, said, where's Charlotte? And I looked around and to start with, I thought he was joking. I thought she was hiding under the coats or something on the floor of the car. And then I realized she wasn't in the car Mm. and we had left her behind. Honestly, it was the most it was the most terrible moment. And uh, so we did a a U-turn and in all this rush hour traffic, people tooting us and drove back. And she wasn't where we had left her, where we'd parked the car. So I got out and I was running up and down different roads. And I wouldn't be telling you this story probably if we hadn't found her. Right, um, but right. we did eventually find her and she was walking up and down crying. And what had happened is she had um, stormed off down the road thinking that we would pick her up. But she hadn't noticed that the car was facing the other direction. I hadn't taken a roll call. And um, 
we'd driven off without her. Honestly, it was the moment of, even now when I'm telling you, I, I can feel my heart racing at yeah. how terrible a moment it was. And she honestly thought we'd left her behind in, in London. Yeah, on purpose. On purpose. That's not good. No. Did she go to counseling? And uh, well, did she work that we, out? We have talked about <laughs> it afterwards. But um, let me ask you, I mean, some of that, that's, that sounds almost like a label I would give reasonable guilt. I mean, wow, I left my child behind. That's not good. It's not good. But but how, how do you, again, how do you as a mom get over those coincidences, those things that yeah. happen that, you know, they just happen when you're overwhelmed? Exactly. I think guilt does come with the territory in parenting. And we can feel guilty if they don't eat their broccoli, if they pinch their siblings if they're not doing well at school if um if we feel that they're not doing the things that society expects them to be doing at that particular stage or age so often as mums um we we start looking at ourselves and we think what have i done wrong what could i do better and sometimes there are things that we can do yeah. better but generally guilt isn't a good thing um it just holds us back and weighs us down and god doesn't want us to go around with that weight of guilt actually right. so we can bring it to him and we can then work out you know what are the things that we can do what are the things that we can change um the differences we can make and what are the things that actually just are our children being themselves mm. um being the personalities that they have having the gifts that they have and just allowing them to be the people that god's made them to be that's so good yeah it's so true coming back for a moment to that comparison the parent comparison trap um you warn moms and dads about the dangers of that comparison. And, and we always want to do what's best for our children, but we're always checking to see other families and how they compared ours. Our thing was with Trent being such a big guy, it was always his height. Oh, yeah, he was like 110% of the growth cycle. I think back at that, I go, what a stupid fool I was. <laughs> I mean, because it's, you know, it's, no, it's just part of the genetic thing, right? And uh, I always had to reel that in and remind myself it's not a big deal. Uh, but back when you were first learning how to drive, you had a good lesson, I think out of proverb, a good lesson. Oh, and yeah. What, what happened with learning how to drive when you were a teenager, probably? Uh, that's right. So I just got my driving license, and it was one of the first times that I'd been allowed out in, in the car on my own. So I was a bit nervous. And I came to this really narrow bit of road with cars parked either side, and I just froze. I, I just don't know that I can do this. And I was edging forward but worse there was a big queue of cars behind me oh, people yeah. getting irritated tooting their horns and then this wonderful lady got out of the car and she just stood in front she beckoned me forward and she was saying just keep your eyes on me keep your eyes on me don't look sideways don't look sideways and through I got this little bit of driving out to the other side and yeah afterwards I reflected that there's a proverb that says exactly that you know mm -hmm. let your eyes look straight before you your gaze be straight ahead I think and yeah that's a not a bad lesson for parenting as well right don't be distracted by that comparison yeah. situation I think that's great you shared a story in the book I thought was terrific Mrs. M oh, I mean yes. it even comes with that <laughs> I'm hearing the piano bum, 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 bum. what happened with Mrs. M in church, and I think so many moms can relate to this. Yeah, well, she's a very sweet friend, but honestly, she had these three perfect children, and they would <laughs> turn up on time for church. They wouldn't need any kind of entertainment. They'd just be sitting as if they were listening. They're all, you know, shiny shoes, all beautifully, beautifully done out, sitting still for the whole service. And Amazing. And nearly always, our sort of ragbag of a family, we'd, we'd 
come in, we'd usually be a little bit late, three boys and a girl, and we'd quite often find ourselves sitting uh, just in front of her. And our boys would be wrestling on the floor half the time, and I'd be trying to keep order. And she'd so often, and I don't think she meant it unkindly, but she would uh, just say, oh, you do have your hands full. And I would feel terrible. Right. I really would. And think, why can't our children behave and sit still in church? But anyway, I'd probably missed, missed the point in that one as well. And again, comparison wasn't a good thing. And I so easily went down that guilt route and also judged what was going on in their, in their spiritual lives by whether they were sitting still in church, which probably wasn't the right measure either. Mm. Uh, before you raised four children, uh, you were a successful lawyer, as we would say here in the U.S., and uh, it gave you a perspective. I don't know the number of years you were in the law field, but uh, you can let us know. And then you shifted to being at home full-time mom. So many women, not just in the U.S., but around the world, especially Western countries, Canada, U.S., U.K., Western Europe, have experienced this tug. Talk about that a minute and give some perspective about how you dealt with it. In terms of work and then being at home. Yeah, yeah. identity. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So, yeah, so I trained as a lawyer and actually that is what gave me the heart for families because I did family law. Oh, my and goodness. so I was uh, upfront really with all the tragedy when family life hasn't worked out often as people had hoped. Well, so, that's a front row seat to, um, to yeah. tragedy. And it gave me it gave me the heart to want to you know work in the area yeah. of prevention and you know wonderfully ended up with care for the family. But yeah, for me in many ways, I loved my job. I loved I loved being a lawyer. I loved being able to help people. Um, but deep down, I really always wanted to be a mum. So in many ways for me, it wasn't a difficult decision to, uh, to stop work and to, um, to spend time at home. But I think for some mums, it is hard. And uh, particularly if you've really loved your career and um, found your identity in it. Mm-hmm. Then I do remember in the early days with our son, our oldest one, when he was born, he, was, he cried quite a lot as a tiny baby. And I remember about three weeks in thinking, oh my goodness, I think I've made a terrible mistake. Is I actually felt quite bored. Um, and it was quite hard to admit that because I thought this was going to be a wonderfully fulfilling thing. And it felt a bit boring because um, all the fun of the office and the kind of excitement of life in the workplace just wasn't there anymore. And, uh, and that took a little bit of time to work through. But I think that issue of identity is mm. one that, that hits many mums because when we have a baby, we... We, it feels our identity's gone out of the window. Um, our time isn't our own. And uh, it takes a while sometimes to work that through um, and to realize our identity isn't actually based in the workplace or as a mum. It's right. something much deeper. And I think that, that uh, deeper down hunger that you had was probably very helpful for you to make that transition. Uh, but speak to that mom that's struggling with that, that that identity is very important to them. And we all get that. Maybe she's the vice president or maybe the president of something. Uh, but she's 35 and now the window's closing and what I do with children. And of course, you're, at least in the U.S., and I would think this is true again in all of our, you know, Canada, U.K., the Commonwealth, there's a cultural momentum against having children. You mm, know, children mm. are too much of a burden they're not you know they cost a lot of money all those things speak to that woman directly about how to prioritize those things that over the long arc of time you're now a grandmother of four 
Five even. Yeah, five. five. Yeah. So, I mean, you can give that wisdom to that mm. mom listening right now mm. who is struggling with this. Yeah, I think, well, first of all, some people have to work to put bread on the table. Um, but if we're working just because um, we want to maintain a particular lifestyle, I think sometimes it's worth taking a little step back from that. I think it's worth fast forwarding. There's a lovely little saying, no one on their deathbed ever said, I wish I'd spent more time at the office. And when we look back on our lives, the things that are most important will generally be the relationships we have and the family. And so even though it seems a hard decision at the time, I think actually prioritizing that role as a mum, we're the only mum that our children can have. Mm. Um, so being able to prioritize that as best possible and yeah, give that our energy and fast forward to you know, however many years time when we look back and think, will the decisions that we make now, will we be pleased that we made them? I remember taking our youngest to school and thinking, Do you know, I am glad that I had the privilege of being able to be at home uh -huh. um, with him and shape those values and and be there. And I recognize that's not possible for everyone, but we can, you know, we can try and keep that as our priority. Yeah, and I think keeping that importance of child rearing in mind. I mean, you, you are investing in your child, and I think it's wonderful. Gene has done such a beautiful job being at home raising the boys. You know, I'm participating, but she's the anchor. Yeah. And it's been so stabilizing to our children. You know, this sounds almost uh, inappropriate when you say, in the book, when you say, look for child-free moments. I mean, that again could put guilt on a mom, right? What what were you intending uh, to maintain some adult sanity? I get that, you know, that it's not just doing a bunch of mommy stuff. But h how do you do child-free moments? That's a really good one. Uh, yeah, in terms of child-free moments, well, I think that it's the flip side of the guilt when things go wrong can also mean that we take all the credit for our children's success. It's, it's <laughs> the so flip true. side, and neither <laughs> of those are good. But I... When our children were little, um, I was so convinced that I had to be there for them, kind of 24-7. Right. Um, and Richard, my husband, asked if we would go away for a weekend. And I actually said no, because I thought somehow we were letting our children down by doing that. And I was so wrong in that, because actually prioritizing our marriage and our relationship was one of the best things we could do for our children. It did take the strategic know-how of a military campaign to sort out <laughs> where they were going to go for the weekend, plus pets, but we managed it. And um, that was one of the best things we did. So, But we can get little child-free moments as well. So I had a good friend, and we used to do a swap on a Wednesday morning. Oh, that's good. So one Wednesday, she would have, um, I think it was when the others were at school, so it was the youngest one, and she would have him one Wednesday. Um, and in that moment, I could have a cup of coffee or have a sleep or tidy the house or read a book or whatever. And then the following Wednesday, we'd do it the other way around, and I would have her child. And not only did that give me some little bit of space, but also those children formed a really close friendship. And they were actually recently best men at each other's weddings, mm. which was really special. So it's that. And then I joined toddler groups, mums groups yeah. again, where there was someone who would care for the children and you could share with other mums and encourage each other, um, which was really important. I, that was the next question I was going to ask, actually, was the importance of getting out there. You know, women need social network. They need to connect. You're wired for that. I think men can tend to be a bit of a loner mentality and compartmentalize. That's our brain chemistry. 
but it's important for moms to connect with other moms and other women and just talk about how life is going, right? So I don't feel abnormal. These fears, these anxieties that I have, other women are having them too. Just such a relief sometimes to know that you're you're not alone, um, that someone else has a child that doesn't eat their vegetables, doesn't sleep at night, um, has a temper tantrum and won't sli- sit in the supermarket trolley or whatever the issue is. Just that those are normal things of family life. Um, yeah. Just sharing those is, is really important. So when you combine what you did uh, in family court in England and seeing these marriages break up and the impact on the children and them going off to one of the two parents and all that arrangement that would have to happen, and then your work at Care for the Family. You address in the book something that you call uh, parallel relationships or parallel living. What did you observe and how do you apply that? Yes, yeah, so in terms of um, our marriage, when our children were little, I was totally involved in the things of family life, you know, the, the Play-Doh and the goldfish and the hamster and the school run and all those things. And Richard at that time was... Uh, building a business and so his day it was full on but he was involved in emails and trying to help clients and manage teams and all that sort of thing and it wasn't a decision we made it was just a way of living that we drifted into and we found we were living parallel lives and we didn't have those points of connection and actually that wasn't that wasn't good for our marriage but it also wasn't good for the children either and so a wise friend just gave us some good advice about Mm. making those points of connection putting a date night in the diary and yeah over the years that's been that's woven itself into our marriage which i think has has been at the heart of our family i think it's good the way you describe that the unintentionality of parallel living i Mm. like that because i don't think anybody sets out to say let's see how far apart we can drift it's just life takes over right and busyness takes over and you have to work at keeping things together yeah and uh, sometimes you're just so distracted you don't think about it here in the u.s one of the startling statistics that we have is what they call the graying of divorce the empty nest divorce and it's mostly women who are applying for those divorce papers because the kids go and they go i don't know you Mm -hmm. anymore and i don't think i love you anymore and i think our time is done that's an example, an egregious example of what happens with drift, right? Absolutely. We look across the room and the children have left and we think, what have we got in common? Because we've spent all our time either doing our own thing or only talking about the children. That's the other thing that can happen. It can be our whole relationship is about administration. You know, who's going to take which child where, when? And of course, that's important. And we've got to have those conversations. But it's important also to have fun and to find times when we can connect together. Yeah. Catherine, let's end on a high note, I think. Uh, Proverbs seventeen twenty two: a joyful heart is good medicine. Uh, that was an important Bible verse for you in your parenting journey. I think it's a good thing to remember for all of us in our marriages as well as in our parenting. A joyful heart. Do this with a joyful heart. I think laughter in the home is really important. There's lots of science that backs that up as well as um, as well as that lovely verse in Proverbs. And my husband's always been really good at this. He's been good at spontaneous fun. And I've had to work harder sometimes because I you know, think, right, we're about to get the children to bed and suddenly there'll be some game happening and they're all excited. And I think, oh, gosh. But, you know, he's, he's <laughs> had it that. right. We had, um, we had a sleepover party once, yes. uh, which uh, was one of our children's birthdays. And so all these boys, and it was really early hours of the morning, and they definitely should have been asleep. And I was imagining in the morning that, you know, I'm going to get all these 
cross mothers because the children were tired. And I said to Richard, please, will you just go and get these children to sleep? And so um, out he got of, of bed. And my son's room had a little trap door from the attic. And next thing I hear, instead of them quietening down, there was this massive commotion. And he had got a huge water pistol and had gone in through this trap door. And these kids... Your husband. My husband. (laughs) And these kids had had the best water fight ever. Honestly, it was a party to remember. They were probably a little bit tired, but they had had such fun. And I've always remembered that and tried to stop myself just making the schedule go along as if as I thought it should be and allow time for laughter and for fun and just hanging out together. Um, it's really the, powerful. I love the attitude of Richard. That's so funny. <laughs> yes, hunt radio. I'll take care of that. I'll be back in a moment and uh, goes and fills up the water pistol. Starts it was good. <laughs> going after the kids. That's hilarious. Catherine, uh, we're going to hold you. You're not going to get on that plane yet for the UK. We're going to do another day if you're willing. And let's come back tomorrow and keep talking about this. Brilliant. Thanks so much. And thank you for joining us today for Focus on the Family. We're looking forward to hearing more parenting insights from Catherine Hill next time. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for listening today to Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller. this has been such great advice for all of us as parents from our good friend Catherine Hill. I hope that you've taken something away and if you need to listen again you'll find the broadcast on our website, podcast or on our Focus Africa app. The fantastic news is that in only two weeks Catherine Hill and Rob Parsons will be in South Africa for a tour of parenting events so you can hear more wonderful and practical advice and encouragement from these two international speakers live and in person. They'll be presenting three different events. What every parent has to know, bringing up kids in a changing world, a mind of their own, building our children's emotional well-being, and the heart of communication, a masterclass in public speaking. You can find the details and request a copy of Catherine's book, If You Forget Everything Else, Remember This, all at our website. It's safamily.co.za. Or call us on 031-716-3300. For Focus on the Family Africa, I'm Graham Schnell, inviting you back next time when we'll once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.